Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. This is Dumpty Dum, sponsored by managers. Dum 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 reasoned intervention that is Royfield Brown and with me have the verbal family altercation who is Rosie Porty and we are joined by the hubby in denial who goes by the name of Peter Fickling and the last part of this week's little bus stop folks is you now this week's dumpty dum is from Ali's son Jelly P now he's age five now we have an expression in Jamaica it's saying it basically when you say someone's got hard ears it means they're not listening and boy, oh boy, do dum-de-dummers have hard ears. Because you want to know what, Rosie Porty? No one's listening to you. Yeah. Which, you know what, is going to be probably going to be the theme of this week's podcast. Because, you know, people have been saying I have been marginalised on this podcast. Just saying. And it's not only me or the co-host, it's the bloody listeners. Now, I, I beg and I implore you, please send us in a dum-de-dum because we got now left. But anyway, uh, Rosie Porty, next bit is in red. So if you would like to sing us a dumpty dum or leave us a plot prediction, then call us on 0203 031 3105. Leave us a message on SpeakPipe, SpeakPipe or send us a text starting dumb to 077 86 690. Thanks to our social media supremos, Cosmo for his podcast roundups, Mike Hatton for his character counts, Shambridge for her amazing voices, and to Lucy V. Freeman. Now, just before we go on any further, you're probably wondering, where's Auntie Kerry Warburton? Uh, where is she, Pete? Uh, she's, I think, sunning herself in sunny Spain in between sporadic showers and um, downcasts. Uh, Auntie Kerry, uh, we'll, we'll be back next week. 
but we have uh, the wonderful Rosie Porty, who's, who's been shining, or she shone, past tense, on, on them their Zooms, didn't you? I did. I loved it. I had lots of fun, especially kind of having a little a bit of a poke at you, boy feel, but I'll be very good today. I'll be nice today. On this week's episode, we caught from Liv. Josh in the Pacific Northwest is back, Pete. Uh, Titian, Lady Garf Garf, Jacqueline Berto, uh, Sandy and Witherspoon. But first, it's our burning topic of the week. Uh, now, what is our topic of the week, you ask? Um, how many forms of denial were there in the archers last week? Now, Pete Fickling, um, you is, uh, you, you're the person that seems to always come up with these kind of like, um, hot topics. Um, so why don't you uh, take the floor, sir? Um, denial, the archers, last week, discuss. Well, what happened was I, um, knowing that I was going to be chatting to Rosie today, um, we organised a call and and I just sat there in awe as she kind of dissected the whole thing uh, um, one portion at a time. And because I was for once not talking and able to take a kind of spectator's view of the situation, I noticed that she was calling out these sort of, you know, the um, self-perception versus reality in all these different parts of the parts of the show. And the one that really stuck out to me was when she was talking about Philip Moss and, you know, his his self-perception that he's this kind of like gregarious um helpful kind-hearted man and then some would say that the opposite is the truth um so yeah um, maybe rosie's got some more to say about that because that was um you know basically she was the genesis the genesis of the we're all in denial how do we jump out of there i think for, for me there was just this sort of in a way split personality construct happening across multiple folk in ambridge so we had alish not recognizing that she has any kind of a problem. We have Chris kind of jumping to his wife's defense, not really uh, owning the fact that she's got a big, big booze problem and has done for a lot, a lot of their marriage. We've got Robert and our Lindy having their kind of own existential crises separately and then using our Lillian as a bit of a an intermediary. And, and then, yes, the kind of the Philip Moss multiple personality disorder in, in one man where he's kind of whining about the residents of Ambridge not being his friend, boo-hoo, while he's discussing the horses as though, as though they're commodities. So I think it's quite fascinating how the psychological constructs that the writers have been able to, you know, kind of architect over the last few years are kind of really coming into their own right now. Let's deal with Philip Moss first, or let's start there anyway. For me, and I think it's a masterful setup, by the way, uh, Rosie P. So uh, props to you, Mrs. Uh, but in terms of Philip Moss, he, for me, is the simplest to uh, to kind of analyse and to break down because ultimately he knows what he's doing is wrong. He only reveals his true nature to the one person who he truly trusts, which is his son, and even with his son, he has some level of um, contempt would be too strong a word, but he doesn't actually, in inverted commas, rate his son. We got a sense some months ago before the coronas that he thinks his son is a bit crap, but it's to do with his ex-wife, isn't it? That that the reason why um, Gavin actually works works with, with Philip, you know, that Philip Moss knows what he's doing is wrong. Otherwise, he'd be going around telling everybody in the village that he has 
um, indentured modern day slaves working for him. So he is so he's covering up his uh, the real meat and potatoes, how he makes his money from from his business. So um, how far wrong am I with that as a as a construct, uh, Rosie P? I think quite wrong. Smashing. Um, <laughs> because I think it's kind of, well, he's aware that he's sort of these two different personality types, but he's convinced himself that he's actually doing, um, you know, the, the sort of the horses a favor as well. I think in some twisted bit of his brain, he thinks, um, you know, they'd, they'd be on the street otherwise. Um, but then with that kind of chilling phrase he was using about Blake costing more than he was bringing in. Yeah. Mm. It's really spooky. Like it's really unsettling hearing that phraseology. It, and also his relationship with Gavin, there seems to be that same kind of um, uh, usefulness versus um, effort. You know, it's sort of transactional. I mean, I know that we're, that we're big fans of Donald Trump on this show, but when you hear Donald Trump being discussed, you know, if famously he, he views every relationship, even, you know, his family ones as transactional. What can people do for me? How do people make me look good? And so, you know, when, you know, when Gavin, when Gavin's being useful, he's being showered with praise or when Gavin needs coercing as well. And rather pretentiously, um, the other day I was sort of positing that, you know, maybe Gavin was where he sort of practiced and mastered his um, his art of sort of because because you assume that these people are working semi uh, voluntarily for him, that they they have been they are locked in a rather sort of damaging relationship with Philip and um, Gavin. But I, I think we were some months ago, we led to the conclusion that Philip's business empire is a lot to do with the relationship which he had with his last wife. The, the split up was acrimonious and maybe it's because she didn't approve of what he was doing or whatever, but there, there is kind of, like, kind of something there. But in terms of the construct of a drama, he's a villain. So when I say he's the simplest really to work out, you know, he's, well, I agree to, to a point, um, Rosie, that there's a level of denial going on with him, but that's only so he can actually present himself as this upright businessman. He actually knows what he's doing. He's morally, ethically, legally wrong. He knows it. The reason why he has to keep this all quiet and he can only talk to Gavin about it is because it's indefensible and he knows it. But isn't that part of the kind of the broader problem that people have when they're talking about evil is they need they need they need to have this kind of binary concept of good and evil. And actually, the the, the, the trouble with the, you know, the Rob Titchener's and the Gavin Mosses, sorry, the Philip Mosses of this world is that, you know, if you confronted them directly, they would have they would give you the same justification that they give themselves every day. So, yes, he yes, he understands that people wouldn't understand why he does things the way he does. They wouldn't understand why he needs to, you know, to, to keep his business business running this way but he's probably drunk the kool-aid a bit himself he probably you know he, he's probably fairly convinced of his version of events and i think maybe that's what rosie was hinting at but she can soon correct me <laughs> i think so i think he's um in in a psychological state where he thinks everything he does is correct and it just depends on the setting as to actually what he's getting up to yeah and we're back um, to trump again yeah yeah absolutely but but for me there, there is a difference at least in the journey um, of where the characters are between him and Alice. Alice does not honestly believe that she has a problem. Whereas I contend that Philip, Philip Moss knows that what he's doing is wrong, hence he's concealing it. Yes, Alice is concealing um, her drinking, but she's also concealing the extent of her drinking to herself. 
Oh, no, I know that um, Rosie has been listening to this week's episodes because I've seen her. Um, I've been I've been sort of trying to watch through sort of Vaseline lens to the tweets firing left, right and centre. So I've been, I, I haven't listened to this week. So um, la- last Friday, the cliffhanger was that um, publicly Alice had said very clearly, you know, what what are you saying? Yeah, but she's in front of Chris. We've only heard her talk about it in front of Chris. I can't can't wait for Monday or Tuesday or whenever it is. Is when when are we going to hear Alice's inner voice or Alice talking to someone else about saying you'll never believe what Emma said? Or as she tries to reconcile, because no matter despite the fact that um, she doesn't like Emma, and that's obviously being well advertised, Emma is inflexible untrust you know inflexible completely trustworthy and a very reliable source of information and you know that that will not be lost on alice i think what may happen is um the putative surprise 50th birthday party that was kind of kiboshed by these imaginary friends that ian and adam apparently have in the lake district who knew but you know alice has sort of managed to get half of little's booze bucket in place she's got her party bags ready to go with the condoms, I, th- I, th- I think she might just have some kind of meltdown where yeah. she basically starts, you know, knocking back the uh, half price Prosecco and goes on a bit of a mad ramble through the village. Because I think, you know, at some point, you know, she she, she did um, in one of her monologues talk about, um, you know, being late for meetings um, at her previous company and not really showing up there. So she, she was beginning to show a bit of awareness, but it's such a big thing to admit that I think she's going to be, in a way, pushed into it. And there is going to, there is, I can see happening some kind of um, car crash, physical or metaphorical, after she downs half of the Prosecco for Ian's party and just loses it. Last week, Royfield wasn't particularly happy with my defence of the monologues. Um, and I think actually this is a good example of where you want to hear directly from the character. Um, I would I would love to see um, Alice uh, tear the party to pieces and um, go on a sort of like, you know, uh, booze soaked, uh, you know, one woman march around the uh, around the village. But equally, I would like to hear her in a voice because that, that's the that's, I think, been the real success of the recent monologues has been the way you, they've been able to sort of peel back the lid and show you the. The, you know the private thoughts mm. so um there was a, a a trio or a triptych of uh denial kind of storylines and then the last one uh was uh the snells so um rosie p in in what way can we link the previous other two storylines and denial with uh the, the normally happy couple that is linda and robert well it's it's toe curlingly really upsetting what's happening with Robert and Linda in that they're on such different tracks and they're so, it just feels that they're so far away from each other uh, and that, you know, Robert's in his car talking about erectile dysfunction with Lillian and Linda's at home, you know, in her jazzy caftan and her long earrings. And it's just so sad that they haven't been able to reach out towards each other. And I think that Robert is just so worried about her fragility and is just he loves her so much that he's just terrified of doing anything that could hurt her, given the fact that she was at death's door only a few months ago. And he just doesn't have the words to express that to her. And Linda is such a proud, strong woman, and she's been literally blown sideways by what happened with Gavin and Blake um at gay grables that her whole personality has been shunted and if there was ever a need for some couples counseling in ambridge this is definitely it and 
you know, Elizabeth's therapist should be getting over there or getting on a virtual Zoom because those two just need to talk it out. It's really the, the, sad. The sad, the, the sad thing is, is that um, Robert's, Robert's concern is not just sort of doing damage to her psychologically, but actually physically, you know, making love to her could physically hurt her. And mm-hmm. it feels like a large portion of it could be tidied up very quickly if they were just just one of them would break the seal and, and have that chat. And that, that's made it all the sadder for me and all the more poignant is seeing them so close to, because they're, their love for each other is so deep that you know it would only take a small amount of time of them kind of unbottling and unburdening for them to be back in each other's arms, um, you know, maybe with some some cushions and some um, safety devices, <laughs> a harness maybe. Yeah, made by made out of old horseshoes by Chris potentially. By Chris, <laughs> that would be a useful ornament, wouldn't it? Yes, exactly. His the, the strength of his the strength of his work would be finally put to use. In what way? Um is is linda and in her position exhibiting denial in the sense that we've kind of constructed it this week linda is mourning her past self and you know and we got a glimpse into that in the monologue she was very clear about that and she was sort of like joking with monty about you know how she was sort of letting him down and how she wishes that she could be stronger and she actually talked about the fact that she needs to reconcile herself with not just her the physical changes but her sort of you know the um, her emotional fragility and so maybe her maybe her denial is more complex than than you know alice and um Philip, because, you know, there it, it, it's total, it's sort of day and night. Whereas with Linda, she's aware of it. And I think, you know, it's sort of, it's interesting to watch that. And you were talking about um, Robert as well. I mean, I, I got um, beaten up by, by about sort of by a group of men when I was in my sort of early twenties. And I was sort of shocked by uh, how it didn't really affect me in the moment, but weeks later, I really, you know, a sense of a sense of kind of masculinity I didn't even realize realize I had was sort of profoundly challenged. And I sort of see that with Robert, and I see that with um, with Linda, where she's sort of, you know, she's kind of in in real time coming to terms with the kind of the emotional damage and uh, the gap between, as I said, the gap between her past self and her current self. And it must be very very difficult for this fictional person. So I was just real, I just realized I was talking about Linda like she's a real person, you know, um, yeah. Uh, Rosie, mm-hmm. um, it feels what... like she's a real person. That's yeah, why we the, care. She's, the, she's su- she is such a. I'm sorry, I've said this so many times, but Linda is is. I mean, it's hard to think of a better character in the Arches in in all diff- in all different settings. Yeah, and and definitely one that within this uh, situation we're all rooting for because we we massively empathise, and I think that's the most heartwarming thing about uh, this whole. Uh, upsetting thing I should say about this storyline you can completely see it from both angles Uh, Robert just wants to protect just wants her to heal and to get better and for him not hurting her is definitely part part of that and and for Linda she she needs him to to reach out and and to touch her for to help her heal and to to make her feel whole and it's just so wonderfully done Uh, and then for for reasons of a, a dramatic construct, we have to have Lillian uh, being um, uh, Henry Kissinger in between the two, you know, you know, bouncing uh, from from pillar to post, you know, running messages, kind of kind of getting things slightly wrong, and and you feel the and you hear the anguish that both uh, parties then actually feel um, when they have probably one of the most stable and loving uh, relationships in the whole village. 
That's know, quite so. a moment, Royfield. I've just realised no matter how many parallel universes there are, you're the only Royfield who will ever compare Lillian Bellamy to Henry Kissinger. That is uh, throughout <laughs> space and time a unique moment. Peter, thank you for that, sir. But now we can have a little bit of this. Hello, Ambridge 3962. And we start over in Brummagem, uh, the capital of the Midlands. It's Birmingham and it's our Liv. Hi, Royfield and Dexadamas everywhere. I'm Liv, I'm from Birmingham and I'm a first time caller in a My Archer's Vintage is, I think, a. Did you know? Because I listen, I started listening um, when Helen stabbed. Rob and I've never I've never looked back so yeah um I'm a recent listener to Dumpty Dum but as I've had lots of time in lockdown I've managed to catch up with all the episodes now um and thank you for everything you're doing thank you for keeping going during lockdown and yeah just thank you for an amazing podcast now on to the archers so last week Emma annoyed me because um she was trying to do the right thing by confronting Alice and Chris. But that that was just not the right way to go about it. And she she made everything worse. And now Chris is very much in denial. So is Alice. But it just didn't didn't work. And, I, and I'm also loving um, Philip and Gavin. I really hope that this storyline is resolved because it's just very um that, that the tension is build, building every time they talk about their slaves so i really hope it's get, get it gets resolved soon anyway thank you for everything you do bye well it was lovely to hear from lib first time caller in again from sunny brum i wonder if she wanted to say tarara a bit like sarah does uh, i think it's really interesting the reactions that have happened in relation to emma's intervention with some people being fairly angry at the approach that Emma took. Uh, and I think with others being a little bit more sympathetic given I think the circumstances around kind of Alice pretending that, you know, Ed was in love with her. And Liv is a big fan of the storyline to do with Philip and Gavin, but is hoping for, a, I think, a speedy resolution. I'm not so sure it's gonna be that speedy. I think they're gonna drag this one out. Let's mm. hope. I mean, I'm, I've, I'm very publicly a, a big fan of um, Philip and Gavin. I want as much of them for as long as possible. Um, but uh, I know that's not necessarily um, the, the the opinion in vogue. I t- I've got to say, Liv, to, it's, uh, it takes a lot of guts to to be you know call in and slam Emma on your first call. You know, Emma is pretty <laughs> damn popular, and you know, if the last few Dumpty Dums, I don't think we could shut up about how much we love Emma. So fair play to you for you know giving her a bit of a kicking. I I, I thought, I mean, I personally listened to. I thought that that Emma had the right amount of desperation and sadness in her voice when she approached Chris and they did they did patronize her and sort of like she did try and, and ask Chris for the privacy needed to deliver the message in a more sensitive sisterly way and was denied that so I think personally I think it, I was quite surprised to hear that um, Emma was getting a bit of a kicking but Rosie I didn't I, I've been intentionally avoiding archers this week what what sort of um, brutal comeback has she got no, we can't talk about it. We can't talk about it. It's a surprise for next week. Uh, no, we can't. But what I would say is that um, I think the way that Chris spoke to his sister was just disgusting. And yeah, that's Chris what I was 
ganging up on her and bringing up all the stuff to do with the house. And after Chris and Alish, you know, gave them or gave Emma the princely sum of three thousand pounds to help her. Yeah, you educated living... me about this last week. Yeah, they're like they're living in a free home. They've got minimal expenses, and Emma was effectively on the bones of her ass, lovely phrase, and was really desperate. And for her brother to just kind of, I think, kick her to the curb at that point, and now is just unforgivable. So I sense a massive family rift until Chris wises up and realizes that his sister only has his best interests at heart. Yeah, because I, when I spoke to Rosie last week, Royfield, I didn't realise, I'd, well, sorry, I'd, I'd forgotten that Chris had given some money to Emma because I was saying, who, who, you know, who was it who's told the village that um, Emma came to them for money? And then Rosie pointed out it was Ruth, Jim and Peggy that she'd been to. And I thought that Jim and Peggy would never break um, Emma's, you know, um, uh, privacy by uh, by you know gossiping about it. So we then worked out it must have been Ruth who'd sort of like spread the word. But so that yeah. But anyway, I did yeah. I thought it was absolutely outrageous that he would um, throw that back in Emma's face. And you know, and she, as I said, she'd uh, she'd asked for privacy. And you know, Alice Alice couldn't you know couldn't wait to get stuck in to to Emma when they were you know having that conversation. You know, just just looking at this from the perspective of somebody who is steeped in the the history of the UN from 1945 is an inception in San Francisco uh, through to the modern organization now which has its headquarters in New York is that Emma is no diplomat is she she went along and actually was delivering the right message but the wording was all wrong the wording in that communique was all wrong and if somebody came in you know in effect, all guns are blazing. And I understand the reason. And that, and the reason why she didn't come armed with the right diplomatic language, Henry Kissinger style is because there's this whole nonsense of uh, Ed being in, into Alice. So, you know, she's bristling. But she pieced it together, you know, this is what's going on. Her sister-in-law um, likes likes the juice, right? She's She's... An alcoholic but she because it's emma it doesn't take much to set her off and if i was chris it would have set me off too did chris say the right things in the moment absolutely not but that's what made it such a great scene oh it's fantastic yeah because it was no henry kissinger for that moment she couldn't calm the situation she just went in in effect all guns blazing, in effect. Diplomacy is, is not Emma's um, greatest skill, but it's such a difficult thing to do, to go and talk to a family member about something that difficult. And, uh, you know, hopefully hopefully their family's like mine and there'll be a lot of um, shouting and ranting and raving and then calmer thoughts will, you know, appear through the night. Because I think in, in reflection, Chris would have to think about how difficult it must be to go to your brother or sister and say that. And also to stay to stay the course when Emma, was well, sorry, when Alice insisted on staying in the room, the fact that she didn't chicken out and walk out the door, that takes guts. She could have just, you know, bottled it and walked out. So I hope that, you know, yes, she hasn't been a diplomat, but I hope he recognises, you know, even if he doesn't believe in it, that the, the effort she's made. Mm. Okie dokie. Uh, on that note, uh, let's go to the Upper East West Side and it's have uh, a touch of bowl with the spoons. 
Hey baby, I hear the blues are calling Tossed salads and scrambled eggs Mercy Greetings, everyone in Dumpty Dum Towers and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. I'm on Royfield's side and must disagree with Auntie Carrie and Peter on the issue of the future inclusion of monologues. I enjoyed how the dialogue propelled the plot and, more importantly, the conflict forward this past week on The Archers. There was the parallel set of sibling fights first between Susan and Tracy, and then between Susan's own two children. Tracy handled her conflict with a deft, humorous hand, which seemed to be heading toward an amicable resolution, while Emma's self-righteousness played out like a bullet in a china shop. We know she's right about Alice, but a lighter touch would have served her better in confronting her brother and sister-in-law. I thought she intended to talk only with Chris, but that didn't happen. It seems her intentions were both one of being concerned and helpful, and one of being holier than thou. This week also marked the return of that dastardly father and son duo, Philip and Gavin. It's always so jarring when they so consistently refer to their workers as horses. Philip seems otherwise domestic and caring toward Kirsty, but in truth he is cruel and unempathic. Who knows what kind of cold and xenophobic father he had. Oh wait, we're talking about the Mosses, not the Trumps. It's a confusing time. But what I want to note is the brief reference to Tracy's lawsuit. On the face of it, it seems frivolous, but maybe that will be the undoing of the Trump, oh, I mean Moss, crime syndicate. A good lawyer? Let's pick one at random. Ose Usha will unravel everything through the discovery process. Let's hope so. Talk to you soon. Well, there's a lot to go through there. Very, very quickly, first of all, do we know if the horses thing, where does that come from? Because I, I swear I heard it before this plot line started on the archers, but is that correct parlance? Have you heard it before? That's what oh. gang masters call their, their slaves. Oh, okay. So they are completely bang on with that. Where do you get that information from? What's, what's the, the background for it? Well, there was a recent play on Radio 4 um, that oh, was set in okay. Wales where they had... Um, a kind of a similar setup. Um, I think it's the, it's been in a couple of uh, documentaries around gangmasters. So with the cockle pickers, who unfortunately oh, yes. passed away. Oh God, that was awful. Yeah. Um, you know, in in Lancashire, it came up there. So I think it's 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 definitely um, you know a, actual phraseology that is used by right, I think yeah. both the police and yeah, think, um, you know social security. I think that's where it's... for these folk. It was Lincolnshire, wasn't it? And yeah, I, that's where I think I must remember it from. That was very, very sad. They were Vietnamese, weren't they? Vietnamese folk who were sort of forced out onto the onto the um, mm-hmm. onto the wash. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Um, keep it light, Peter. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I I obviously hold uh, Witherspoon in the, the, the highest highest esteem, but it's so it's quite upsetting for him, for me to hear him being so wrong in disagreeing with me and Kerry um, at the beginning of his um, call in. What do you think, Royfield? Well, uh, you might you might want to get used to it, Pete, because uh, you're going to get called that a few times in this episode by the great caller in us. That's all I've got to say. Uh, this, you told you told us that um, to sort of breaking the fourth wall. Hello, listeners. Uh, Royfield <laughs> said before the uh, show that um, basically I was in for a right old kicking today. So if I've sounded unusually sort of nervous and cowed, that's why I'm just every call every caller in era is like, oh my god, here it comes. Here's the the big Royfield's big army. Kind of I'm I'm you know I'm the the the, the meager Spartans in the chasm and the the huge Persian hordes are about to kind of pour down on top of me. But anyway, so I'm I'm buckling in. Back to back to show. 
Oh, right. Okay. So, sh shall I press a button then? Yes, please. I'll do that then. Hello, Royfield, Kerry and Peter, and hello to all Dumpty Dummers. This is Sandy. I'm a first-time caller in her, and I've been listening since about January 2018, which I think makes me an Anisha. I've had a few interesting jobs in my career, but probably the most broadcast-worthy was a spell as a live armed guard. That always gets a bit of a woo around the table, unlike my current profession as an accountant. I've listened to Dumpty Dum for almost the same amount of time, and I loved listening to Lucy and Royfield, but I adore the new format too, and I missed Peter a couple of weeks back when he was benched for Sunny. I'm still really enjoying the COVID-secure archers, and I was just wondering whether anybody picked up on the writer's intended sarcasm to the monologue naysayers by way of Ed and Emma discussing Susan's angst regarding her squeaky voice, and Emma said something along the lines of, well, if they don't like it, they can just switch off and there's more important stuff to worry about going on in the world. I really did laugh out loud. Thanks for all that you do. Take care, Sandy. Oh, Sandy, isn't she lovely? Mob accountant Sandy calling in, yeah. Mm. Mm. What's a life arm guard? Or did I mishear that? that? That's what I heard too. Just a badass with a gun that just protects people. That's I, where I, I got think... the mob. That's where I got the mob thing from. I'm like, mm. okay, she can't have gone from this sort of woo-worthy, exciting job to accountancy without sort of you know keeping a hand in. So I'm glad she brought that up about um, Susan um, and Tracy. I absolutely adored that, I, I, and I seem to be um, part of the few on that one. I really, really enjoyed it. I didn't care if it was realistic or not. Kerry, um, caught, uh, Kerry was giving it a bit of a kicking on Twitter. I think, yeah, I, I just thought it was knockabout humour and. For me, there needs to be at least a sort of a, a sort of ten or twenty percent of that in the archers for me to sort of enjoy it. I love Tracy and Susan, and I love Tracy's sense of humour and the fact that she can wind her sister up so easily. I think one hilarious moment was Susan referring to herself as Madonna at one point oh, because of you know somebody trolling her. Yeah, so at one point she was saying, you know, when we, when people become well known like Madonna, you know, oh, yes, people yes, try and take them was... down. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna go so, so there's a very strange image of like a tabard with some conical bras sticking out of it very disturbing it was definitely out of the monologues the need to get susan on the air um but then they could have quite easily just sort of segued away from that but she's now got her own jingle almost they sort of the, the full radio borsuch thing with the bbc reference was going on and you know the BBC is undergoing a lot of change, so it's going to be quite interesting to see. Is this is this a sort of a, a internal insurrection from BBC staffers using um, Susan away as a sort of Trojan horse for getting their sort of union views across? Um, Radio Borset just starts to receive some cuts. Susan shows under threat. Um, you know, um, Columbo comes back to sort of uh, make a desperate plea for her saviour. I don't. It's, I think it's going to be quite interesting. I love the fact that sort of people were actually phoning the number. So when oh, the yes, kind of the BBC that, yeah. Radio Borsetshire, you know, the number was read out, people were calling in it's a, to a get through to they, Susan. It's a bit of a shame they didn't um, uh, hook it up to something, you know, some kind of promotional uh, tape. I think mm. I think we should suggest that on Twitter because I think, you know, there are, there are, you know, there are hundreds of people out there who need advice from someone with the life experience of Susan Carter, married to a pig man for all those years, you know. They could have randomised it. They could have had it going to the, um, the, you know, the three main sort of groups under threat, alcoholics, horses, and, uh, you know, um, uh, sisters who have to put oil in their father's um, ears. 
Uh, Royfield, on your trip to Germany, did your daughter take the time to oil your um, waxy ears, or did you not have um, did you not have time in between sightseeing? Um, she she didn't she didn't, and neither did okay. she wash my underpants uh, beforehand, <laughs> okay. which is another thing which uh, which Tracy did. But no, but uh, but thank you for mentioning uh, Deutschland. It, it, it was a, it was a wonderful trip. Uh, but you know what though, Pete. Um, we have little time for these little uh, for these aside this week because we've got a, a ton of calls, and yeah. um, from Sandy we moved to uh, an old caller in of some vintage. It's Jacqueline Berto. Hi, it's Jacqueline Berto from Sanguen in Brittany, France. Um, I'm a long time non caller in but I'm a caller in of old. I've seen quite a lot of stuff flashing across my screen on social media uh, about um, the Alice Chris and uh, the alcohol story. So I decided this morning to go for a very long long walk with the dogs and caught up with both the Archers and Dumpty Dum because I seem to be having to avoid Twitter and Facebook or whatever uh, and so it was not to read anything. So my view of it is that Emma was not the person to confront Chris and uh, or Alice about, uh, work, about the drinking at work. But what amazed me was how Alice's self-deceit was portrayed. Now, I've lived with two addicts in my life, not both addicted to alcohol. And I have to say that um, it's the deceiving, that self-deceiving of the addict that fools the partner, Chris, of course, in this case, to have fears and doubts about whether there really is a problem. But So I'm not blaming, like a lot of people are, Chris for um, assisting uh, and not seeing and being blind to Alice's addictions. And I think the story will run and run and we'll have quite a long way to go yet on it. But um, Emma was definitely not the person <laughs> to do that. She's far too impetuous and she shouldn't have carried on the conversation because there's such bad feeling between her and Alice. Anyway, well, thank you for the new format of both Facebook and Dumpty Dum. I'll always miss uh, Lucy V. Freeman, but I'm very much enjoying uh, uh, listening to Kerry and Peter's uh, conversations with the lovely Royfield. Bye for now. Wonderful to hear Jacqueline Berto's dulcet tones again, all the way from Brittany in France. And I'm hoping that she was successful in her local election that happened in the recent months. And the key themes that she was pulling out was that I think as we've discussed already, Emma is not necessarily the best diplomat to go in and have an intervention. But she also was drawing on some personal experiences of um, a couple of addicts. And the key issue that she had was that their self-deception meant that the person living with them was really hidden from the truth in terms of the addiction. So she felt that people were being a bit unfair to Chris because if the addict is such a good liar, then their partner is just really not going to know what's going on. Yeah. And Chris, Chris seems very much blinded by his love for Alice. You know, he's determined to, to see the best in her. And, and, you know, I think it's, it's a, uh, I mean, luckily for me, I have never been with an addict, but um, um, I can imagine, you know, it, that must be the challenge. You've committed so much of your life. You've dedicated so much of your life to this other person. And so it's kind of in your interest to see the best in them and want the best for them. I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was Kerry, but some weeks ago did talk about the level of adornment that uh, Chris actually has for, for Alice, you know, that, it, you know, there's, Chris almost feeling like he isn't kind of really worthy of Alice. You know, the, the power dynamic between the pair of them was really being kind of like brought out with this in that, yes, um, he's been lied to 
and Jacqueline makes an excellent point that um, level of denial and then deception um, is really hard for even the closest around you to really realise what the problem is. But then also there is this weird power dynamic between the pair of them, which you can only really think is to do with one being an Aldridge and one being a Carter and you know the the level of privilege and entitlement that goes with being an Aldridge, and also um, Alice. Alice has talked, you know, sort of uh, in pain about the pressure of being the golden child, and it doesn't just have to be her parents and her siblings who bought into that. You know, Chris could have bought into that as well. He's married this glorious, um, hyper successful, hyper intelligent woman, and although uh, Rosie, what was it you were telling me? Massively overqualified for her her life in um in ambridge but but yes but on in in ambridge terms this incredibly successful and uh, well qualified woman and yeah and why question that i mean she's she's got a, um, i think a first class degree in engineering and what is she doing kind of pootering around in this village like it doesn't really make sense that she hasn't made more of her degree and i think that she's sort of trapped in this golden cage by her father and the alcoholism, I think, has come out of that sense of she's trapped. She's trapped in her little cottage. She's trapped in her life. And the only way that she can really escape that is through alcohol. And I think that's probably quite realistic for lots of people out there when they feel as though they don't have the agency over their own lives. And she's just kind of being shunted along towards eventually becoming a mother, even though she doesn't want to be a mother. And I think the alcohol is there to kind of cushion her from that reality. Has she said that? Has she actually said that she doesn't want to be a mother? Is it just a not now when it's right kind of conversation? Or have we actually heard her say to Debbie or anyone that she is not something she sees for herself? I think she's sort of she's pushed back against her mum because her Jenny's been going on about this for ages, and she's always said not yet to Chris, but she's just right. she's just not you know maternal, and she's only in her kind of early thirties, so there's no massive rush right now and I really you know she, she needs to kind of crack on and do something for herself because if she doesn't um, there could be some very sad consequences down the line yeah uh, now uh, Jacqueline Berto uh, thank you for that now we're going on to Lady Garf Garf hi dumpty dum this is Lady Garf Garf I'm not a first time caller in era but I haven't called in for about four years since the uh, Helen and Rob storyline came to a, a climax but I haven't missed an episode of Dumpty Dum I really really enjoy it um, my first point was just to say I love the new format I think uh, Royfield Kerry and and Peter work really really well together um, but Royfield did seem to be getting quite bullied at the end of at the start of mm -hmm. last episode and as a teacher I'm in a union and that's something really important to me and I was just interested whether there's a kind of podcasting union you can join um, my archers related point is uh, about veganism. I teach a lot of young people and lots of them are very interested in this and I think veganism is on the increase. And I was just wondering, apart from Kate, whether there were younger members of the characters that you thought could turn vegan, particularly in the farming families, and whether that would cause a conflict. Anyway, sorry for my ramblings. Uh, thank you very much and speak to you soon. Bye. So Lady Garf Garf wants there to be a podcasting union. Wouldn't they just be kind of in the National Union for Journalists, Royf? Or is there a special one for podcasters? Well, there should be definitely should be a special one for podcasters who've been trying their best for six years, ploughing a certain furrow with something that they love. Then they invite a friend on, things are all going to be shits and giggles, and they turn out to be vicious. 
there should be a unit specifically for that type of podcaster. So I don't know about about the NUJ whether they can have some kind of subgroup, some subcommittee uh, within that august uh, union. But definitely, right here and now, I think Peter Ficklin has got something to answer for, and I'm really glad that Lady Garth Garth felt that um, exercised that after not calling in for four years, um, this was the moment for her to call in because she couldn't take it anymore. So it's interesting, isn't it? Um, which character would be a vegan? Um, I'm thinking <laughs> that maybe Ben might be a good candidate. Maybe he'd be flirting with some other woman and, you know, that would sort of, he's, you know, desperate to impress. He would sort of update his diet. There was that kind of whole plot about the cooking that we could sort of tap into. What do you think, Rosie? I think in terms of like impressing people with their Thai-inspired curries, absolutely. <laughs> ben in his little bright orange tango car. But I think, Pete, I think you may have, um, perhaps you kind of like missed what Roif was saying there. I think he was looking for kind of like a, you know, hands-down apology for the, the, the bullying that you've been subjecting think, him to. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I, I think that Royfield is a very respectworthy and upstanding and confident man who doesn't need anyone's protection section um and i you know i and i, I treat him as such I, I respect him enough to treat him honestly and with candor and i i hope that is taken in kind but you know what it is though peter it's it's the bullying it's exclusion which which it, it, it is a form of bullying you know there's you and kerry having your having your lovely little whatsapp chats yeah. and yeah, we, do, we do talk a lot yeah 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 well, there's also but, some news on that as well from Peter and I last week, isn't there, Pete? Two lovely chats, Rosie. Thank you. Yeah, it was, it was very enjoyable, yeah. Very in-depth um, sociological yeah. discussion, psychological discussion. It was fascinating learning all about Catford architecture. Like, I learned a lot from well. those. Yes, wow. it was, uh, you know, and it, it, Royfield? Rosie. Um, Rosie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Royfield, you are mm. a very, very busy man. Um, you have a wide number of interests and, you know, a wide number of business interests as well. And it's difficult, let's put it that way, to sometimes get you to engage in our conversations. And I, you know, I can't speak on Carrie's behalf. She's, you know, currently um, uh, waist deep in sangria and um, other, you know, beverages. But, uh, you know, you, you, you're always welcome. I'll just say that as far as I'm concerned on any conversation. Right. In fact, did I not message you just yesterday saying, wouldn't it be lovely to catch up next week? No. Did I not? Oh, I can no, you didn't. Someone else. Yeah. That was okay. somebody else. All right. Yeah, yeah right. that was my friend Tay, maybe. All right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So that is your apology. Yeah. I've, I've talked on the topic, yes. All right, great. All right, now, moving swiftly on. It's Josh, who, is, uh, who called in before and was aghast at what we accused him of. Greetings, positive Peter and kindly Carrie. I do hope that you've invited the rarefied Royfield along to this week's podcast. He's a friendly chap and has many interesting points to say on the topic of the archers, so it would be an honest shame if this turns out to be one of your tete-a-tetes that you have accidentally recorded as a podcast. To be honest, I am still in shock at the conjecture from the three of you back in July that I work for the current administration here in America. I struggle to find the words to express just how unlikely the nature of that scenario is. Although perhaps I need not be so self-censoring after last week's trip from double entendre to single entendre to honest and direct discussion of what exactly should constitute magic time. I am calling fairly early in the week, so I don't know where the plot line with Philip will go for now, but it brought my mind back to a point that I had stuck in my head for some time when I started listening to Dumpty Dum this spring. 
I know that Philip and Gavin use the phrase horses, and it seems a reasonable depiction of the dehumanizing language that would be used in that circumstance to square internal and external views of oneself. But I do not think that we, the listeners, should even ingest. I suggest we use their names and refer to the events that are happening to them as adjectives to reflect their value beyond their current circumstances. Finally, while I'm glad to see dialogue re-enter the show, I hope that the monologues do not go away completely, at least not until some of my previous fever dreams come true and we can hear Natasha reading her credit card statement out loud or Henry babbling for 13 straight minutes. Let's give the academic archers something meaty to deconstruct. Wow. What a tour de force. I don't remember you guys accusing him of being a, a member of the Trump administration or being his spokes lady. Uh, Did that happen? I think, that, I think that's a sort of a shock, a, 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 um, a symptom of shock. Um, it was briefly mentioned that he might be a member of the Trump administration, but the main thrust of it was that we thought he was some sort of deep state kind of secret agent sort of type. Um, and I'm, I'm sorry about the Trump administration accusation, but now, now I'm thinking there's this kind of slightly academic, intellectual um, sort of approach talking about the you know sociological um, elements, and I'm maybe maybe some kind of research institute, some kind of Area 51 esque sort of uh, deep state, um, um, you know, civilian civilian population control um, uh, institute. Mm. nothing's off the table when it comes to Josh I don't think and I think it was interesting actually he was saying that we should we should talk about Blake and Kenzie rather than referring to them as the horses which I really agree with and I think we should going forward refer to them with their real names rather than yeah. using that nomenclature and I swear I'm not saying this just to irritate Royfield but Rosie didn't we talk last week about how <laughs> because we don't ever hear from the from Blake and from Kenzie it's it, it's not like with it's not like with Rob and Helen with Rob you heard his victim you heard her distress you saw Helen being um, distorted and manipulated and I think um, you know my my slight reluctance to put down my my sort of my affection for the, the Moss brothers to go you know is rooted in the fact that we never hear from them so it's still this kind of theorized or sort of um, learnt distress or reported distress it's that disconnect, isn't it? So I think it really yeah, exactly, is that yeah. because we haven't actually heard from them. It's all rep it's all reportage. And until we actually hear their voices, we're not going to have that sense of connection. Well, we did hear we did hear from Blake in the hospital. He was voiced. Though oh, he I, was, wasn't he? He yeah. was. Yeah. He was. I, I oh, no, like I take to, your general point, Peter. I, I don't like to. Uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not just disagreeing with you for the sake of it, Royfield, I, I, I thought, and I'm, I don't like to criticise the writers, but that was such a, a, a thin, sort of weak caricature. Um, I didn't really feel there was an opportunity to connect with him at all. Um, so yes, yes, sort of like, so factually, there was Peter, a voiced character. what type of monster are you, right? So wait a minute, let's just go back to that the hospital scene. The type that repeatedly bullies you and tries to shame and belittle you on air. That's the kind of monster. Well, apart from, apart from the, the bleeding obvious, what other type of monster are you, Peter? Now, let's go back to uh, that hotel. Hotel. Let's go back to that hospital <laughs> scene. <laughs> right. Someone what hotel room was that? <laughs> was this another kind of like weekend break that I don't know about? Very, very specialist hotel, yeah. <laughs> Blake was he was terrified he was not only literally uh killed you know uh, because of the explosion he was also terrified and you got menace from uh from phil philip 
and him and then uh, Blake Cowering. That's what I seem to remember from, mm. you know, and, you know, to, you, tell them that I'm your uncle, etc. Right. That... But that's all Philip. That's all Philip. And, uh, you know, I, yes, it's, 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 it says a lot about you in a good way that you sort of projected that concern onto him. But um, I, I don't, you know, you didn't walk away. They didn't, they didn't put in the little tidbits that managed to sort of help you round out the character and develop a sense of who he is. I know it's a cramped scene. There was a lot going on. But I, I just, you know, we still don't have a sense of who they are as people beyond their relationship with the with the mosses. Vulnerable. Yes, that's a caricature. That's not that's not a person. Mm. All right. Talking about engaging characters is Titian, and she's bringing up the rear in terms of the caller inners this week. Hello, Titian here. Long time not caller innering, but here I am. I have a few things to say. Please, 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 can we have more positivity? Let's stop whinging about the monologues. I think they're the numbskulls for grown-ups. Google it if you don't know what I mean. I'm with Sunny. Burning Mag and I agree as well. It's much better to have some archers to listen to and whinge about than none. Much love to Burning Mag, Dee Dee Midders, Nosilla, Auntie Jean, Jojo, Lucy and Robert. Bye-bye. Well, beyond the very warm and lovely sort of um, sort of community notices i just heard peter's right peter's right peter's right all the way through that so um wasn't i wasn't that exactly what i was saying last week royfield and you were disagreeing with i'm leaning into the bullying now i can't be bothered to hide it anymore i'm just going to go you're leaning once. in are you cheryl <laughs> yeah. sandberg now there's many personalities yeah. coming out from peter let's record it yeah no yeah absolutely i'm gonna I, I, the, the act is over nice peter how gone. big is your hair i'm just wondering now because it takes quite a lot of bouffant to get the Cheryl look. So, yeah, I'm impressed. I am slow to take compliments, but as I've got older and I've started to develop a bit of a silver fox look, I get a lot of compliments on my hair. I'll just say that. So not true, Peter. You're a very handsome man. Wow, 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 wow. Now I'm you're no trying, to, anyway, Roy... trying to, you know, follicle shame me because I, I have no hair. So the, the bullying doesn't stop with you, does it, Fickling? Uh, but, <laughs> but, 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 Rosie, where, where do you stand on the monologues? Because obviously you weren't with us last week when um, I said I wanted these things to be over and dispensed with and never to rear their heads ever again. Uh, I think you're wrong on that, Roy. And I think the reason for that is that we've we've heard kind of the inner workings of Nakasha. We heard about her dad uh, with his bipolar disorder. We're beginning to hear Alish's sort of true character coming out in terms of her self-doubt. The beautiful scenes with Robert and Lindy just wouldn't have been possible in terms of their their sort of the tenderness and the kind of the, the, the weeping that ensued from various people listening to that, I imagine. So I think in, they've been done really, really well towards the end of the process. And at the beginning, I just think we should be saying, you know, thank you that they kept going and the script writers were able to kind of move this forward. Because I mean, as, as Titian says, they've worked, you know, really hard. They've kept it going. And I think we should be really grateful for that. And I would like to see um, you know, on a shorter form basis, the monologue's carrying on. I, I, I think I don't think I fundamentally disagree with the first half of what you said, and I think I said as much on the show in that I'm glad there was something rather than nothing. I, I think I've said that, and definitely at the start of the whole the monologues, <laughs> I, I did say that I understand the production problems of all concerned, whether it is the technicians, the writers, the actors, uh, the script editor, et cetera, et cetera, in keeping the whole ship afloat. There is a sort of a, last week, Phil, you said that um, one of the problems you had with the um, monologues was it took away 
the listener that the listener's job yeah. was to sort of you know insert their imagination on job you know you know what i'm trying to say yeah but but actually you know they granted us an opportunity to sort of see another slice of the village to see a whole nother kind of like you know a whole nother aspect of the village and and you know and has allowed our imaginations to roam a bit freer and just kind of like sort of sort of fill in some of the gaps more more effectively um so you know i i did i, I when i listened back to the, the podcast last week i did listen did hear you say that and think that's a very very good point and one that i was slightly jealous i hadn't thought of myself but um but yeah i think it it it, it i took the point but also think that it's it's offered another whole um um perspective sorry i couldn't have mangled that more if i tried that i'll, I'll leave that in the edit then the show peter that's that's fair enough i deserve it fantastic so that's a call Rinneris, our Rosie. Now, um, do we have any emails with an H? We have two emails this week, Roy. Mm. Shall I crack on with reading them out? Uh, uh, yeah, yes, please. Let's please. Okay. So the first is from the amazingly named Silver Girl. Mm-hmm. And the title is Dumpty Dum, Gavin is a horse as well! Exclamation mark. So Silver Girl says, just catching up on last week, the irony is that the way Gavin is coerced and controlled by his father and constantly seeking his approval, reliant on him for shelter and accommodation, Gavin himself is no different from the other horses. Discuss. Kiss, kiss. Um, I, I like think... the kissing. <laughs> and also, I like that as, as an idea because I hadn't thought of that. Had you? It hadn't occurred to me, and I think she's absolutely got it spot on. He is really similar. He's terrified of his dad. He has no external form of support. So maybe Philip did begin his journey to being a gang master with controlling his son. But you, but remember, though, th- th- their relationship is somewhat complex because, remember, Gavin was introduced by him demanding that his father spent 30,000 quid on his wedding. So as much as he is in awe of his father and cowers, there is also a level of entitlement that Gavin has as well. Yeah, and all of that, was it 30,000 grand to go to Bali to marry Kelly? Mm. And then that's all fallen by the wayside. And not even a mention of Kelly now. He, you know, he, he licked his wounds for all about three days before he got over that. So And tried to get on to Emma, but Emma wasn't having any of it. Did he? Did he? Did he read it? I genuinely can't remember. Yeah, they I, had I a remember... couple of drinks in the bull, didn't they? And then Ed was kind of hanging around watching them. Mm, true that. That yeah. acted as somewhat of an accelerant for Ed and Emma to be back together. Back together in harmony in their lovely caravan. It's just so cute, isn't it? It is really nice. I'm so glad they're like, I was quite kind of, I was really cynical about the whole kind of Ed and Emma thing for a long time. But now they're in there like static home everything's working out she's going to have an amazing career as a kind of events organizer type person and i just hope they can get through all of this stuff with alice and chris relatively unscathed i could not agree with you more second email second email fantastic so this is from laurie f jones and the title is my origin story Hi, Royfield. I just wanted you to know what happened in the life of one miserable lockdown woman in Western Washington when you went on that English thing show with David Crowther. Um, you, you asked for long emails. I hope you meant it. Here's my Archers fan origin story, because I know Royfield always wonders how us Yankees found their way into Ambridge. 
I've been addicted to soap opera since I was 10 years old and soaps were a constant in my life for decades and I always had something to talk about when I found myself having to make conversation with women I would otherwise have had nothing in common with. A sad thing happened several years ago with the changing of entertainment options in America. The soaps got increasingly awful and then most were cancelled, leaving a gaping hole in my life. Then one day, about 10 years ago, I think, I was looking for audio dramas on iTunes and discovered The Archers. My life was complete again. Not too long ago, something else special happened in my life. It was when the pre-recorded episodes ran out, but before the monologue started. And in the US of A, we couldn't get the old episodes that were being aired. In my iTunes search, I found an episode of, oh crap, I forget the name, something about things that are English. It was with David Crowther and Royfield Brown, two of my very favourite podcasters. And it was about the Archers. So I listened and that's when I discovered Dumpty Dum. I had thought my life was complete again when I found the Archers after the demise of American soaps, but now my life was more than complete. Nothing could have gotten me through the shutdown and all the insanity taking place in my country now like Dumpty Dum has. I'm listening to the current shows, but the best hour of my day is when I walk my dogs in the evening and listen to the old episodes. I told you it'd be long. Thank you for providing the bright spot in an otherwise bleak and troubled year. Laurie. It has been a, a terrible year. But you know what, though? A small little pinprick of loveliness, Laurie, has been your email. So so, so thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, so that's the emails. So, folks, uh, you know the drill. At this point, I go, right, uh, take a break if you can. Or you can have a comfort break uh, if, if you need one. Or a bio break, as, as Peter Fickling calls them. Which I, I'd, uh, <laughs> how, do you, how do you feel? With, with with bio breaks over comfort breaks. Which one would you prefer to have? Comfort break. Exactly. Bio break is a rather agricultural uh, term to use, which is somewhat apt, I suppose, really, considering that we do a podcast about a rural soap. Oh, sorry, docudrama, faux pas. Anyway, <laughs> I'm wittering, which means go do what you need to do. Maybe put the kettle on, have a wee, do whatever. Uh, see the other side, it's social media roundup, and it's R. Lillian. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. calling from the northeast of England, Middlesbrough, with this week's social media roundup. I've got my partner here doing the recording for me, so hopefully this will mean that we won't get any interruptions from the screen reader. Carolyn Wright said in Ambridge Addicts, she has done another one of these recordings that I was mentioning about the vintage archers and this one that she's done is Dan and Doris in heaven and it talks about Dan giving Doris the up-to-date lowdown of what is happening in Ambridge so it's worth checking that out because it is very funny. Meanwhile Clive Dowdell in Archers Anonymous said have a chat with Kate to crystallise Alice's fitness program and there's a photo and the text inside it says you're elite you should try yoga it will help you relax and then she says back to Kate so does vodka but without all that sweating Cheryl McCulloch in Archers Anonymous says Susan is being totally selfish she should do her share looking after Bert and there were lots of agreement with this sentiment in all groups. Stuart Arundale in Upstairs at the Bull says, Tracy, empty suitcase, exclamation mark, brilliant. Barbara Williams, in the meantime, in Academic Archers, is sure that Tracy got the tenancy transferred into her name when she first moved in with Bert. And Claire Asprey very helpfully could confirm that Tracy is a joint tenant. Stephen Thomas declared that Alice will get drunk again and want a bit of Grundy magic. However, they will forget that the polytunnels are see-through. Ooh. Sandra Jenkinson agrees that Susan should do her fair share with Bert. Also, so should Gary, but she fears that Gary is a bit of a waste of space. Sean Coleman says, Alice thinks a lot of herself, doesn't she? 
And I think this was in respect of her thinking that Ed fancies her. Fiona Crawford says in Academic Archers, I wonder what Gavin means by tying up loose ends with Kelly. Judith Lawrence wondered whether this was a throwaway comment or something more sinister. Sean Brown said in Dumpty Dum that he found the sound of Gavin and Philip's voices chilling. It stopped him in his tracks doing the washing up. Joan Smith wonders why Philip has such a beef with the good folks of Ambridge, especially when Oliver and Linda were so kind to him following the report into the fire. David Egan agrees with her. Meanwhile, Dawn wants Philip to redeem himself and make Kirsty happy. Hmm, good luck with that then, Dawn. Karen Ridley observes that all wrongans seem to diss Ambridge, and she asked if any positive characters have ever expressed negativity about it. Royfield declared that he misses Sid, finding him to be a reassuring presence. Many different views were expressed on this. Royfield also didn't like Nigel, despite really liking the actor who plays him, a.k.a. Graham Seed. He posed the question, what characters other members were unable to get behind? A lot of people commented, including our very own Yoko Bear, who said he has already made up his mind not to like Xander. Ooh take a look at the post for further details. Lots of people's opinions were expressed about how well Emma's handled the conversation with Chris about Alice's drinking. Many people felt she had handled it well. People were generally glad to have lots of dialogue back. In many groups, people thought Emma's remarks about if they don't like it, why don't they switch off, was a dig at the monologuers by the scriptwriters. Adrian Dowd in Archer's Addicts has posted a very funny piece called The Ballad of Robert and Linda. It is based on the Victoria Wood song. I shared it in our group, so do check it out. The last thing I need to do now is just go through the results of the poll that Royfield put on about Kerry making the comment who would inherit Brookfield. Lots of people voted and Pip won with a whopping 50 votes. I put a poll on today regarding if Susan is taken off Radio Borchester because of her squeaky voice, who would replace her? So do get voting and Amber will be along next week with a social media roundup and we'll give you the results of that poll. Well, that's it from me this week, folks. So have a great week and keep safe, everybody. Bye for now. Thank you, Lillian. Uh, that was awesome. And it was tip top as always, my dear. Uh, now uh, we move on from the social media roundup to tweet of the week. Now, Peter, um, Kerry has set the bar. 
I don't know whether it's high or low with tweets of the week, but let's see if you can surpass our Kerry. What are your tweets, sir? Well, we've changed the format. Um, it's now gold, silver and bronze. So, oh, so as smashing. tradition dictates, I'm going to start with bronze. Uh, it's not a criticism um, at Vintage Year, a.k.a. Helen Wormsley J. To see what I did there? Very slick segue. Um, and so she has said... Um, the fatal words. We've got a nice house, a great relationship, and no problems. Oh dear, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Little titter. So basically, with each medal, right, the tittering should uh, go up uh, in terms of the volume, shouldn't it? Oh, yeah, no, nothing makes you laugh like being instructed to laugh and how to laugh. So, wow. yeah, good luck with that. All right, smashing silver. Let's go. Yeah. So silver, here we are, and it's uh, oh, it's it's um, someone who I'm in touch with on Twitter quite a lot, the wonderful um, Gay Grey Bell at Gay um, Grey Gay Bell Twenty One, and she said, "Is Tracy going for compensation? She has more front than the village hall. Love it." <laughs> and, <laughs> and as a big Tracy fan, um, you know, yes, and oh God, I've listened to this week now. My God, I couldn't love that woman more. Anyway, that's for next week. Um, and the gold medal um, position, um, drum roll, you know, huge excitement. Um, Ian at the road. Why, why don't we just play Aaron Copeland's Fanfare of the Common Man? Because that's what we always do, Peter. <laughs> is that, is that, I, this, don't get your own back on him at this point, Roy. <laughs> Come on. This is, this, is, um, this is a good example of why maybe I'm a little bit chippy around Roy because he's so much more educated and oh, um, stop uh, it. wise and clever than I am. And it's, no. you know, so anyway, I don't even know, know what you're talking about. I can't even put together the, 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 the joke together. Anyway, so Ian at Rutherian, uh, basically Rutherian, um, is um, how many times more have I told him? No heavy lifting. Blake seven. <laughs> well done. Very good. Love that, that. Yes, well done. Going to be lost on uh, our American listeners that one, but but anyway. Yeah. yeah. Um, it yes. It's it, imagine Star Trek now. Now it's the homeopathic version of Star Trek, watered down to a quite extraordinary degree. Mm. Due for a revival, Blake seven, I reckon. Wasn't it one of those shows where they killed it off very prematurely? And a bit like Firefly, another sci-fi show, and the fans were absolutely livid. It, you know, it started. It, it sort of started slowly, developed a bit of a, a following, and then the BBC just axed it, or was it maybe ITV? I don't know. But then it was axed quite brutally. But Fire, mm. Firefly was a great show, and that got um, killed off for its time, but unleashed Josh Weddon on the rest of the world. Well, I don't know about Firefly, uh, but you didn't like that. Well, no, I, I'd never watched it. Uh, I know not of what you speak, but I know that Blake Seven was definitely the BBC. A comic book fan, a comic book fan who likes a bit of you know a bit of Marvel, the Marvel universe would be unlikely to um, not enjoy uh, um, Firefly. So I, I feel confident in saying, give it a go, Royfield. Mm. Uh, Rosie, just before we uh, wrap things up, wh where do you stand with uh, the superhero genre or with sci-fi? Totally not in my realm. Uh, do you remember Clive Barker? I liked his books, so I loved his books and uh, that kind of thing and Terry Pratchett many, many years ago, but I'm not a superhero movie fan. I'm more of a room with a view kind of gal. Hmm. Uh, me, me too. Yeah, I do. I do like, you know, a slow contemplative type of uh, story, whether that's displayed to me in book form or on a movie. Uh, but there's nothing like punching a baddie in the face. 
Do you know what I mean? Like punching him in the face <laughs> and having a cape behind you whilst you're doing it for added effect. Well, you're like Firefly then. There's lots of face punching. We'll give that a go. I was just going to make, make one quick recommendation. So I haven't read it, but apparently there's a really amazing Korean comic about mums that's just come out. I saw a review of it in The Guardian the other day, and it sounds absolutely hilarious. It's all about middle-aged mums in Korea going around, having inappropriate romantic relationships, getting fired from their jobs, dead-end boyfriends. It's kind of like Ambridge, but in Korea. Talking about uh, Korean drama, what was that? Korean film that got the Oscar. Oh, I need to watch that. Parasite. Parasite. Yeah. Parasite. Yeah. Oh, I need have to you watch seen that. have you seen that, Rosie? I'm it's on my list. It's meant to be absolutely amazing. It is utterly brilliant. Just a total dissection of a culture which is like ours but different. You know. Uh so you've got class, but then you have the, the quirkiness of the Korean culture viewed from you know a Western perspective and it's just brilliantly acted doesn't go where you think it's going to go utterly stunning film so um, if you want a little bit of Korean culture folks and you haven't seen Parasite go watch that so Peter uh, your homework for next week go oh go I'll, I'll enjoy that yeah no, and I, um, anyway, I've got a whole whole I could go on for hours about um, easy to, easy comparisons between um, Japan Korea and Britain I think there's a there's a, a lot of similarities between particularly Japan and Britain but anyway that's a whole other conversation what the whole island nation thing it's it's, it's spooky um, how um, you know these two countries off the coast of two continents that they have an awkward relationship with but are undeniably connected to you know uh, uh, deeply and uh, immediately uh, and how you know how that plays out in terms of issues around um, national identity and uh, a sort of you know, how that and, and how that sense of nas- uh, national identity is sort of um, manipulated in modern politics. Hmm. So would you say that our relationship, our being Britain's relationship to the island of Ireland is akin to Japan and Korea? This is where I don't know enough. And uh, I and I'm. this is why I was excited about doing research for next week or not that it'll get talked about next week. But, um, you know, our, our, my lovely neighbours who are Irish have been educating me recently about how little I know about Ireland. And I thought I knew a decent amount. And similarly, I know that um, issues between Korea and Japan um, are very complicated and potentially fraught and I don't know enough to talk about it without potentially saying something deeply offensive to any people who you know uh, um, know a bit more and might be directly um, linked to it because I mean it is you know it's pretty damn complicated and and you know I as I said I don't know enough. Rosie yes um, you've been about a bit uh, thank you, you been, for that <laughs> you ever been to Japan or Korea? Uh, no I've been to Taiwan so I've been to Taiwan mm. um, about 20 years ago, and it was a fascinating place to visit. So I went to Taipei uh, and then uh, the South Coast. And the cultural um, shock of um, having, a, having a bowl of noodles that may or may not have bull's veins in it was one that I still remember t- to this day. And I was vegetarian at the time, but didn't quite understand how to communicate that. But amazing, amazing country to visit. And I'd love to go back. Oh, uh, let me just correct you. Country? Taiwan's a country. No, it's not. It's not. Isn't it? Isn't it? No, no, no. What is it? Is it a state? No, of where? I, it doesn't have representation in the, in the United Nations. So therefore is not a country, though it mm. acts as one. <gasps> but but if you were to talk to if you were to talk to a um a Taiwanese patriot they might have a very different opinion. 
Royfield. And they oh, might well, say their lack of nationhood is forced upon them rather than something that's felt or um, experienced or lived. And, and yes, this is a, a burning issue in contemporary Taiwanese politics. But the island of Taiwan was to declare UDI, mainland China. Ooh. Goodness, yeah, uh, wouldn't be pretty. Wouldn't be pretty at all. Wouldn't be pretty at all. However, that doesn't diminish uh, from your observations of the cultural niceties or the, the the strangeness from a Western perspective, and especially if you are vegetarian, uh, your observations about the food which is served up in the island of Taiwan. Very, very quick side note. My probably my proudest moment was uh, ordering a bowl of soup in Vietnam using a mishmash of French, Japanese, and Chinese. And all I managed, all I managed to do was order a bowl of soup. It was it was really quite difficult. And uh, and Rosie, I did not recognize. I knew there was animals in there, but I didn't recognize what animals, what part of the animals. <laughs> and it was absolutely delicious. If you've ever been to uh, Vietnam, folks, why don't you go to dumdidum.com? Go on to the show notes of this episode and you can tell us. You can just write it in the comments. I've been to Vietnam and used a mishmash of uh, French, which uh, resonates with Vietnam's colonial period or the imperial overlordship of the, of, the, of the Chinese era and mashed it all up into a conversation. So I managed to order a bowl of soup. You can tell us in the comments yeah. on dundedum.com. Now you say that, Royfield, it does make me feel a bit insensitive. Yeah, here's two, um, here's two conquering nations um, and their languages. Can I have some soup, please? Although I did throw some Chinese, Chinese in as well. So, you know. What, Cantonese that, or Mandarin? Uh, thank you for the, the clarification. Uh, Mandarin. <laughs> <laughs> the, the books I bought said Chinese on the front cover and in Mandarin in smaller text. So, uh, you know, if you want to comment on Pete's <laughs> cultural insensitivity to the poor nation of Vietnam, a proud nation which has fought off French colonial uh, battalions in the 1950s, the Americans in the 60s and the 70s, and even the French before in Bien Den Phu, one of the most stunning military victories in the 20th century. Go on to dumdudum.com and why don't you school Peter? Thank you. Now, something else you can do is to go onto patreon.com. And we have some new Patreons. And I'm going to go through the list of Patreons uh, next week because without the Patreons, we wouldn't really have a show worth talking about because Patreons, what they do, they're, they're awesome people. And um, what they don't do is come out with crash. Uh, cultural tropes about about <laughs> Vietnam. Oh no, sorry, Bob. But what they do do is they give us shekel. They give us two dollars per show, and that means that uh, we can pay for things around here: hosting, speak pipe, uh, you know, coding. All this kind of stuff gets paid for with these two dollars per show. So if you want to help us out, come to Patreon.com and uh, donate two two dollars per show, and um, and good things will happen to you. Oh, another way which you can help um, our enterprise is to go onto Apple iTunes, go write us a review. And in a couple of episodes time, we will actually thank people who've written us reviews this year. Remember to get in contact. You can send a voice message via SpeakPipe on the website or call 0203-031-3105 to leave a message or send a text message starting with DUMB to 07786-200. 690 smashing now you know the drill twitter it's uh it's one of the areas where pete is stunning and i am not uh and it's an area where that's how i know auntie kerry warburton 
Twitter, Twitter, Twitter. And of course, Twitter is what Burr the Dumdy Dumps. So if you want to go on to Twitter and tweet, uh, why don't you follow Peter? So Peter, if someone wants to follow you on Twitter, how can they do that? Uh, Pete Fickling. Rosie Porty. I think you're new to the social media platform, aren't you? I am. I only joined Twitter in the past... I think six weeks, Royf. But I've been very prolific since then, and I, I love it. It's really, really good fun. And I'm at Porty Rosie. Ooh, smashing! All right, and um, I talked about Bien Den Phu uh, before, which is stunning uh, victory by the North Vietnamese against the colonial French. It was about 1954. Somebody could correct me on the exact date of that. Uh, but do you know the reason why Portobello is called Portobello? So it could be to do with uh, the Italians and the and a war, but I'm probably completely wrong and will get, you know, shouted at by Portobello historians everywhere. It is uh, the battle against the Spanish. I think it's a naval battle in the 18th century. No, I don't think I know, because um, that's the reason why Portobello Road in London is the, thus named. I think it's the War of Jenkins' Ear, so it's the 18th century. But anyway... Uh, isn't it interesting how foreign words come into the English language and place names and we kind of forget their foreign roots. It's just Portobello just is. But of course, it's, it's not at all Anglo-Saxon. And I'm wittering. And at that point, I say, you can follow me on Twitter, but there really is literally no point because all I do is just post pictures of um, my folks, really. And But if you want to do that, at Roy Fieldsville, R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D. And of course... If you want to follow the show and uh, various archers related goings on, there is at Dum De Dum. Of course, there is Facebook, the new group enough doing really well, folks. It's awesome. It's it's alive. It's bustling full of Dum De Dumbers talking about stuff. Uh, so quite simply go to Facebook, type in Dum De Dum. It's the group, not the page. I haven't actually switched the page off uh, yet. I think I'll do it this week. But um the group is going so well and thank you to the new social media ad admins for keeping that whole show on the road uh that's that oh oh also big up to the flick at posse flick at people i love you lots chest puffed out and all of that and uh that's that that's that's been us doing a dumpty dum auntie kerry warburton will be back from our holes next week but rosie porty how did it feel to sit in our kerry's seat kind of warm and comfortable and inspiring it's been a fantastic experience um, but i'm sure kerry is going to be rocking her form next week so thanks for having me oh listen we'll have you back again was was the seat still warm it was still warm yeah wasn't it the worst when you're a little kid and you had to sit on the bus and the seat was warm you went oh someone's bottom's been here <laughs> <laughs> uh pete um how do you think our Rosie Porty did. Oh, fantastically. I think that's self-evident. Smashing. Should we have her back again? Uh, absolutely, yes. Um, I'd get rid of me, Rosie and uh, Kerry forever. <gasps> that's definitely the way forward, yeah. <laughs> you I can't talk to the listeners, Pete. You've got so many fans out there. No, no, no. They would it's, be crying. It's been, it's been, last week I was told I talked too much. This week I've been told I bully Royfield and I'm unpleasant. And I think, you know, <laughs> I think it can be, you can see it in my performance this week. I was, I was uh, a little Pete, bit cowed and nervous. Peter, let the truth set you free, sir. Yeah, I just offered that. I just offered to be set free. But anyway, I'm going I'm to go and lick my wounds and maybe I'll have the courage to come back next week. Maybe, you know, and try and try again. Smashing. All right, folks, that's been us. Uh, 
doing the dum dums for another seven days. See you all again soon. Tatty bye. Tarara bit. Bye. Bye.